Hello, just a quick bit before this week's episode to let you know that we have a Patreon you can subscribe to if you like what we're doing here and you want more of it. You probably already knew that. We don't stop going on about it. What you didn't know is that you can currently get a little free trial so you know exactly what you'd get as part of your subscription. You can head to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in the show notes to get your first seven days free. All you need to do is pick which tier you'd like a free trial of. The Biggest Mates tier is the one that has all the extras in it. And then for seven days, you are free to listen to any episode we've released in the last six months. You can cancel any time or just leave the subscription rolling if you like what you find. It's charged monthly. And during any month, as part of that Biggest Mates tier, you'll get ad-free episodes of this show every Monday. You'll get a brand new episode of our new Manic Street Preacher show every month. Two episodes every month of The Ultimate Playlist, our themed playlist show, where we talk about all kinds of different music, different artists, different genres, different eras, and one or two bonus episodes every month, depending on the length of the month. That's two episodes every week. There's also other tiers to trial. One that is just the Manic Show and ad-free What Is Music episodes, and another that is just ad-free What Is Music episodes. But hey, if the first seven days are free, why not try a bit of everything? Plus, all tiers include access to the exclusive subscriber-only Discord where we discuss the shows, the bands we've covered, various music topics, and loads of other stuff, including some games that the friendly community have devised themselves. So head on over to our Patreon page now to claim your free seven-day trial. Go to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in our show notes. See you there. But you are recording the Zoom audio as well, I take it, yeah? Yeah, just, just in case. Good, good, good. Yeah, just that has my happened to us his before. last legs. That has yeah. happened to us before, hasn't it, Steve? Yes, it has, my computer. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't take, like, recording no, no, audio. No, 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 no. It was nothing to do with the computer. You were using a you were using a Chromebook. There's your first mistake, and you had to okay. record in a browser, not, and then you refreshed let's the browser not page. Go over who <laughs> did what to. Um, Simon, thank you so much for uh, for coming on, man. Oh, I'm honoured to be invited. Uh, wow. And it's, wow. Uh, <laughs> have you you've heard our podcast? You can't have been if you feel honoured. <laughs> well, look, I'm, I'm 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 very polite. I might be exaggerating slightly there. <laughs> um, have you heard our podcast? You're aware that we're idiots. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm well aware that you're idiots, um, particularly Great. your views on Gold Against the Soul. Uh, I remember being very angered by... Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, because we're too positive or too negative? Too negative about... Well, negative about things that I liked, I think. But, um, I, I mean, that's all part of the fun, isn't it? You know, I'm, I'm sure you're deluged with... I mean, we all know what Manix fans are like. They have strong Ooh. opinions, strongly held views. They do. Um, yeah. That's true. Um, and yet, somehow, I haven't received a single death threat. Uh, give it time. Give it time. I filter. I filter yeah. a lot of stuff out, Lucas. <laughs> um, yeah, you're uh, you're three out of ten for for the Holy Bible. Garnered some uh, <laughs> some Blimey. death threats, uh, and also hello and welcome to Do You Love Us, a critical analysis of the history, cultural impact, and music of Manic Street Preachers. We're going through their discography, track by track, 
album by album, swap those uh, two around like I usually do. Um, and we're asking questions like, does context matter when you're listening to music? Does knowing the history of a band make you appreciate their output a little more? And we're asking the question, do you love us? Us being the band, Matchery Preachers, not us, the hosts of the podcast, do you love us? To which you are now listening. Nailed Breathe. it. Breathe. I'm Adam Scott Glasspool. With me is my co-host Steve Murphy. Hello, you said that weird. Hello. <laughs> and my other co-host Lucas Way. Hello. And we're joined for the first time ever for a track by track. We have a guest. We have music journalist, podcaster, uh, university lecturer, Manix biographer, Simon Price. Hello. Hi. Thank you, thank you so much for coming on, Simon. Thanks for having me. Today we're covering Journal for Plague Lovers. But before we do that, um, you've been kind of involved with or chronicling the Manics, as it were, and their career since sort of pretty much the very beginning of their career, right? Almost, almost. Um, there was that phase they went through, and you'll know all about this, of sending um, very long handwritten letters to music mm. journalists, uh, people yes. like Stephen Wells at the NME and Bob Stanley at Melody Maker. Um, I wasn't one of those. Um, I wasn't important enough at that stage. Um, and I don't blame them at all. Um, I wouldn't have even been on their radar. I was very much still a kind of lowly foot soldier at Melody Maker, trying to work my way up the ladder. Um, so I had to sort of bide my time. But as soon as they started getting a bit of press, everything I read about them, I just absolutely loved. I just thought, this is the band for me. They're kind of antagonistic and funny and they look amazing. And... You know, they, they like ruffling feathers and literally, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, just everything about them seemed a real antidote to what was going on at the time because obviously it was the time of, well, middle class bands were shoegazers sort of getting yeah. blissed out and working class bands were sort of baggy, Manchester bands sort of tripping out and all that kind of stuff. Either way, it was all about getting out of your mind and not sort of engaging with the world. And the Manics were the exact opposite of all that and um, I was well up for that I was just so up for that when when they came along um, and they were almost like music journalists themselves you know they were so gleeful about shooting down sacred cows and so on um, <laughs> so yeah I, I just had to sort of sit there reading my um, elders and betters people like Simon Reynolds and Stephen Wells and, and uh, John Robb and the Stud Brothers and so on, interviewing the Manics, waiting for my chance. But um, I went up to um, a gig in Manchester uh, um, when they were supporting this dreadful um, white Mancunian hip-hop crew called First Offence. Uh, oh, which uh, having, having the Manics on the great. bill almost seemed to be like an act of trolling because they were so... <laughs> you know the opposite of, of all that all that kind of business what year is this the 91 hip-hop band 91 yeah. okay yeah they were sort of um the tail end of baggy they were kind of if you remember mc tunes who used to rap with 808 state if you're familiar with his work it was that kind of absolutely not simon I'm oh, fair well. enough um, some, of the older, <laughs> some of the older readers will, will know what i'm talking about but it was that kind of culture um anyhow um the, the Manics obviously completely um, pissed off the crowd and it, there was a real, there was an edge that there, there could have been a fight. There wasn't, it, was, it wasn't one of those sort of legendary riots uh, that, they, that they provoked. But um, I just remember going back going backstage afterwards and really clicking with them. The first thing that any of them said to me was Nicky Wire saying, how come your makeup's better than ours? <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought, and like, I completely melted. It's like, oh, he's won me over. He's won me over straight away. <laughs> um, I traveled up on the train with... Um, Martin, uh, sorry, with Philip Hall, 
their manager at the time. Uh, and uh, I remember meeting him at Euston Station and I was wearing a kind of leopard print fake fur coat and tight white jeans and all the makeup and the hair. And he's going, oh, you look yeah. more like one of them than they do. Because <laughs> I'd, I'd already completely bought into the whole thing, you know. Um, ever since um, Cafe St. Luce, their PR officer sent me uh, Motown Junk. But the weird thing is, I, I, I swear, I remember seeing them around Cardiff before they were anybody, just walking around town. Well, I mean, they'd um, stand out, wouldn't they? Yeah. In their like, <laughs> leopard print and makeup and everything. Because that's the thing, you know, for those who don't know, I'm, I'm from Barry uh, in South Wales, which is, yes. um, I, I suppose, about 20 miles from Blackwood. But Barry being the port where the coal from the valleys would have gone through. So, you know, the, the culture they come from is not alien to me whatsoever, you know. Um, I uh, a year or so ago looked through a load of old sort of births and death certificates of my ancestors, and you you get past a certain point, and everyone's a coal miner, even the women, you know. Um, so uh, yeah, the, so I'm I'm from that kind of world, um, and the thing to do on a Saturday was always to go into Cardiff, go record shopping, um, round. First of all, all the kind of department stores that would have discounts like BHS, Woolworths and all that, but also Spillers, the legendary Spillers right, record yeah. shop in Cardiff, which is on a pedestrianised street called The Haze. And I just remember, more, on more than one occasion, coming out, of the, um, coming out of Spillers and seeing these guys sat on the, on the steps outside um, St David's Centre, um, kind of holding court and very much sort of attracting attention because... They didn't look like goths. They didn't look like punks necessarily or indie kids. They had, they're wearing a lot of white and a lot of you know words sprayed on it. And looking back, it absolutely had to be them. There's no way it couldn't have been anyone else. And right, I really yeah, want to go over. <laughs> I, I really want to go and say hello and just sort of find out what their whole thing was. What what are they about? I, but I, just, I was quite shy. I didn't have the nerve. But um, yeah, it, it absolutely had to be them. And and I think maybe because I'm from that sort of similar background. They might have trusted me a little bit more. We might have clicked a little bit better than they did with um, some of the other journalists. So, right, yeah, you became like quite like quite close with them. Like, especially like for a band that sort of at some point seemed to keep journalists at an arm's length and, and only yeah. let them see like what they want them to see. You, you actually kind of infiltrated their ranks a little bit. A little bit, yeah. I um, I never sort of um, flattered myself that I was on their team but I certainly did feel that they trusted me a little bit more um, the first interview I did with them was it was actually my big breakthrough at Melody Maker I'd, I'd only been doing live reviews album reviews but suddenly just ch- chance had it that I got given three big features in one week and they were Public Enemy on tour with Anthrax um, Daisy Chainsaw who nobody remembers now One Hit yeah, Wonders no, that's, um, that's a hit for me and and the Manics doing the uh, You Love Us video. That's the second You Love Us video, of course. Uh, so I, I went along to the shoot and, um, you know, I, I'd already met them a couple of times by now and uh, did the interview. And, um, yeah, suddenly I went from being nowhere in Melody Maker to suddenly I got three big pieces in one issue. Weirdly, out of all those three, Daisy Chainsaw were the front cover, not the Manics, not Public, <laughs> public Enemy. But um, I've literally never heard yeah, that yeah. band name but, before you know, in that, my life. 
that that kind of says a lot about uh, weekly papers, and, and you know, because weekly papers are all about the, sh- the shock of the new and just something novel every week. Whether that thing's going to last forever, no one cares. You know, weekly papers have to, that. You know, that's their lifeblood is to, uh, um, uh, <laughs> no, not intended to, um, to 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 find something new every you know all the time. So the Manics were beneficiaries of that because when they started out, everybody thought they were a bit of a joke band. You know, just sort of mouthy these, these gobby youths from South Wales making sort of tinny, fairly amateur sounding punk music. But let's stick them on the cover because they're good copy. They, you know, they're you know yeah, funny absolutely. and all of that. Journalist dream. Yeah. So yeah. whether or not they actually sold any records, no one cared. It's like here's a thing. This will entertain you. Read this. So yeah, that's why Daisy Chainsaw were that week's band. But yeah, I mean, I, I sort of became the Manix guy. They became the kind of defining band of my journalistic career, certainly in the nineties. And um, whenever there was any kind of story about them that had to be done for Melody Maker, I'd be the person who got sent out to do it. And I was absolutely happy to to do that you know I was um it was they were just always always a real pleasure to to, to be around and, and their sort of whole extended family as well all the people around them were just great and um how and was it kind that, of remaining objective in that situation yeah it, hmm. it is it is difficult and I, I always say and this is a sort of quote that I think Lester Bangs or or the fake Lester Bangs played by Philip Seymour Hoffman <laughs> says something fairly similar in Almost Famous but you know, you should never think that these people are your friends, the bands, you know. Um, yeah. Because, you know, there will come a point, they'll make a shit record and you have to say so. And, I mean, I've I've had a few little kind of edgy moments with the Manics where I've said something they didn't agree with and, you know, um, never anything really bad, but there have been a few times where, mm. you know, one of them shouted at me and stormed off or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but broadly, you know, I, th- I think they respect my journalistic um kind of individual uh, just you know the, the fact that i can say what i want to say without having to run it by them like so for example when when my book came out i i had the best of both worlds in in that um i had a lot of access to them i had a lot of help from them and from their camp um but they didn't interfere in terms of the content because it was the unofficial book uh, or mm, it was just yeah. yet another unofficial book in a way but um so I, I had all the good the good points of an official book, which is you know the, you get all the background stuff and all or, you know all the help, um, but none of the kind of sticking their nose in. I did actually offer. I, I sent Nick um, a manuscript to read through because he was going to write um, uh, a sort of foreword, but uh, because the whole thing with Richie was still so raw, he just found it too difficult. So mm. he just sort of let me get on with it. But they've all said nice things about the book since then so I, I just think I was lucky to be able to get that balance then yeah I mean although it's unofficial it's sort of it's definitely become like the definitive book certainly for that period of, of the Manics up until it goes up to This Is My Truth it does it? yeah pretty yeah. much um, um, it's certainly the book I, I was talking about this before you came on actually it might be the book I've read the most number of times in wow. my life <laughs> it's either that or Big Sur by Jack Kerouac because Ooh, nice, I'm yeah. a wanker <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> what was it that, um, that like, in, you, where you thought, like, th- these guys need a book written about them and I am the person to do that? Um, I it, it wasn't me who made either of those decisions, to be honest. Um, oh, really? I, yeah. Th- there was, actually, there was a funny kind of preliminary run at doing a Manix book that ended up not happening, but it was going to be me and Patrick Jones. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, Patrick and I had, had this idea of doing a book that would kind of be rather than a book about the Manics, it would be a kind of a manifesto for the for the Manics. We'd somehow create this thing that was almost like a sort of 
a work of art that would stand alongside their records and, and all of like that. Like a fake history, like a, like a hagiography <laughs> Maybe, or yeah. Something. It'd be sort of quite <laughs> polemical, I think, because obviously you know what Patrick's like, you know. Um, yeah. He's sort of like Nicky to the power of ten in some ways. Um, so that, that was all... It, it was something that looked like it might happen, but then things went wrong, obviously, with Richie and all of that. So mm. the pro- the, that, yeah. that project got shelved and never spoken about again. But um, essentially what happened was... Um, when they had their big comeback with Everything Must Go and they were selling shitloads of records all of a sudden and they're winning Brit Awards. Um, I think it was actually the morning after the Brit Awards that every publishing house in London that did music books, the boss came into work that day and said, who are these Manic Street Preachers? Why haven't we got a book about them? Um, <laughs> actually, I think one or two books had already come out but uh, on them. But... Um, yeah, you know, they they all wanted to do some kind of big, hefty volume on the Mannix. Um, and, like, you know, go and find me the writer who's the obvious person to choose. So that happened to be me by that point, because I, I'd be writing about them so incessantly that I, I was just the obvious choice for a lot of these people. So I was in the weird position of being at the centre of a bit of a bidding war. You know, I had all these people taking me out for dinner and waving contracts at me which is quite nice um, <laughs> never happened before never happened since you know. <laughs> um, I, I suppose like like you said like you are the kind of go-to music journalist whenever a Mannix thing came up and, and you kind of you still are to a degree I've seen plenty of articles that if they aren't written by, by you they definitely have a quote like and Simon Price says this or Simon Price yeah. thinks that like um, what do you think it is that's then sort of enabled them to have, like, what what is in the music, music industry a ludicrously long career? Yeah. Like, you were talking about, like, bands of the week, and that's only been exacerbated more by sort of NME going digital. And, mm-hmm. like, now mm-hmm. you probably have, you know, a band of the 24 hours before they get knocked off the front page of the blog. Yeah. How is it that the Manics have remained for 30 years, kind of still doing what they're doing? That's a really interesting question. Um, I would like to say that it's because they've never been boring, but we all know that's not true. Um, uh, <laughs> what I think they've very cleverly done is balanced being boring and being innovative back and forth, back and forth the whole time. You know, so, um, I mean, I'm not I'm not coming up with some kind of wild new theory about the Manics. Everybody knows this, that they'll... Uh, they'll bring out an album that essentially will appeal to the kind of everything must go, this is my truth fans. And then maybe next they'll bring one out that appeals to the Holy Bible people. Um, Kind of of one one for me, one for you kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Satisfies their own creativity and their own want to experiment. And then something scares them off and they go back (laughs) to the, the big guitars and the strings. And then, and they think, actually, why don't we just, why don't we do it? Why don't we experiment again? But yeah. think if they kept making the Everything Must Go type albums, maybe they'd be like still headlining Glastonbury and stuff. And mm, yeah, nice. but they'd be bored to tears, wouldn't they? Yeah, but they? Like that, I don't need to think about that. <laughs> okay, fine. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's all about you, Lucas, isn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I think that goes back to the very beginning in that they were, they were secretly proper kind of indie schmindy kids when they were teenagers. But when they started doing interviews, they told everybody they wanted to be Guns N' Roses. So there was always that kind of thing that really they want to be a bit arty, but it suits their rhetoric. And also just their raison d'etre to try and reach as many people as possible. So um, I, I think that's the kind of fascinating tug of war that there's always been 
with them. And also, they've got this just insane work ethic. I, I can't think of anyone else of their generation, of their sort of status, who's just sort of kept going all the way through. You know, Blur went away for a bit. Um, Oasis has split up. You know, Pulp went away and came back and went away. And it's just basically Manic's the only ones who've sort of kept on. Yeah, and when they've had a break, they've done solo albums. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they've never broken up and reformed or, yeah. Uh, yeah, said, like, we're taking an indefinite hiatus. They've always said, no, we'll be, we'll be back in, like, a couple of years. Don't worry mm-hmm. about it. We're still here. And, yeah, I think you're right. I think they've managed to kind of keep their oar in with both camps of, like, yeah. the hardcore fan base and the general public. So they sell enough records that they get to continue making records, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Which is a very... Uh, very dry way of looking at it, isn't it? <laughs> I, I think it's, it's true, though. Yeah, it's undeniable. Having said that, do you think that they have also changed over the years? I mean, they must have to some degree. Um, it's been very sort of gradual and, and incremental. Um, it's when a band has been sort of as as I say, they've been sort of relentless and had that sort of incessant work ethic. They almost don't have time to do some kind of chameleon-like David Bowie-style transformation. Um, That's true, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What, what, I'd be interested on your thoughts on that. How, how do you think they've changed? I'll see if I, I agree think... with you. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll say something, then you just go, yeah, that's it, right at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think... Do you know I've not thought about my own question. That's bad journalism. Um, <laughs> I think that they have changed in the same way that any sort of human being changes and and I think you can see that in the music they start off very angry and very uh, James always has this sort of quote about growing up being very sure who to be angry at you Mm. know in in the 80s it was very sort of cut and dry where he grew up yeah you know who are we angry at today the conservatives We're, we're angry at Margaret Thatcher obviously um but now that whole landscape and other landscapes are much more confusing. Um, everything is much more blended together. And I think that they have, I think that they've softened and almost become more introspective as a result of that. I think their latter day albums are much more about them as a band or them as people than they are about things that are happening if you see what I mean yeah sense? there's more kind of personal emotion there's more um, sentiment maybe in their records definitely yeah but I think they almost had their kind of midlife crisis very early for a rock band you know when you think that how, how old they would have been when Richie disappeared I guess they were about 27 and yeah really you know, so still in their in their late 20s um, when they were having to deal essentially with grief obviously nobody knows if, if he's alive or dead but um to all intents and purposes, they were dealing with the trauma of, of, of grief um, collectively. And um, their records reflected that. Certainly um, the, the first two albums they made after his disappearance, uh, you know, largely about that. And yeah. um, that's kind of... It's, it's pretty hard to think of an album they've made since then that doesn't at least have some hint of how much they're missing Richie and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, um, in a sense, that plus the death of uh, Philip Hall, their manager, who was a sort of very much a father figure to them and all of that business, um, means that uh, that that kind of uh, devil-may-care, uh, gonzo rock-and-roll phase that most young bands go through, 
Um, they certainly went through it, but they had to snap out of it, grow out of it very quickly. Yeah. Um, obviously, they're all now, uh, you know, parents and, and all of that. Um, and um, that's going to be reflected in their music a little bit. So, yeah, I, I suppose there, there has been a certain softening and a, a certain um, creeping kind of, yeah, sentimentality. That, although that sounds like a negative word, but I think a lot of it's tied up with, with um, their, their feelings about where they're from, um, which famously, once upon a time, they, you know, all they wanted to do was get out of Wales, etc. It was just that was a place full of rubble and shit and all of that, you know, yeah. um, if, if you built a museum to it. So um, I, I think that uh, there's much more of a sense of home and a sense of place about mm. their music now than, than there ever was before. Yeah, so that's, 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 a, that's a slight difference. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's, that's definitely true. And, and you're right about all of like, you know, the first sort of five, six, seven years of them being a band had them going through some really sort of tough stuff yeah like how how important is that context when you're when you're talking or, or writing or reviewing music do you have to take that into account or should it be should it pure should the album purely stand on its own merits i'll tell you what this can, can sound a very sort of banal and prosaic answer it depends how many words you've got <laughs> if i've got 85 if I've got 85 <laughs> words to describe a new Manic Street Preachers album, which is often the way in something like Q, R.A.P. or um, Metro, um, who I've been writing for, you know, the last few years, then really you haven't got a lot of time to say anything other than, oh, here they are with their umpteenth album and it sounds a bit like this and a bit like that. Here are a couple of the best songs off it. And, and mm. then, boom, you've hit your final full stop. Um, but How much does if, it affect your sort of like... if if let's say you don't have to write about it let's say you're just considering an album how, yeah. how much does context sort of factor in for you I think with with the Mannix uh, it, it does more than almost anyone else if you're a fan and I know that um, you guys would one of you is a huge fan one of one Hello. of you is kind of on the fence and one of them Hello. doesn't particularly like them at all um, <laughs> when we started at least that was the case yeah 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 <laughs> so um, that, I, I suppose you you're bringing different levels of that context to it and it's kind of interesting to think that the vast influx of fans who came to the Mannix after Everything Must Go are sort of blissfully unaware of all the sort of crazy dark backstory to it and um, I wonder what people like that must think when the Mannix suddenly bring out an album like say Futurology or Journal for Plague Lovers they must be what the fuck is this you know yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, imagine like yeah. they they had send away the tigers was was very much a sort of comeback album as well. Yeah. And then a year and a half, two years later, it's time for Journal for Plague Lovers. Yeah. That must have been a very uh, if you just joined send away the tigers, that must have been a very confusing um, thing for them to release. Was that yeah. you, Steve? Was that? Well, you came in at send away the tigers. Didn't so, you? Um, so obviously I. Send Away the Tigers was my introduction to the Manics. Obviously, I'd obviously hear, heard a Design for Life and Tolerate This and, and etc. like that. But um, I didn't then go f- follow them along. So again, when we started listening to this album, Journal for Plague Lovers, this is sort of the first time I've actually... I was aware of the context behind it, which I'm sure we're going to go into in a minute. So that's obviously um, gone into my opinion on it. Um, but yeah, I'm tr- imagining that if I'd gone from Send Away the Tigers to that, it would have been... Interesting. So your period of being a Manix fan when you were younger lasted an album. 
Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I went to a couple of tours with Ad- a couple of shows with Adam, and then I found like I don't know, emo. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, the first show that you went to with me wasn't because you were a Manix fan. It no, was because you I were my friend. Because you were an Adam yeah. fan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're a big fan of me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I I know plenty of people who just relate to the Manix as a rock band. You know, they just enjoy the sound of these sort of clattering guitars and this sort of very impassioned lead singer and all of that stuff and big melodies. And I think that's valid. That's absolutely fine. I don't think the Manix themselves would have any problem with that. I think they they deliberately set out to work on both levels. Yeah, for sure, definitely. And and I think both levels are in every, uh, maybe not every one of their albums, but certainly the, the vast majority. Yeah, I mean, some of the records are more of a sort of Trojan horse than others in terms of sort of sneaking um, politics, for example, into, into into pop. I was watching that um, Shirley Bassey night the other night on oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, BBC4. And just reminding me that, um, you know, they, they've got her singing basically underneath the pavement lies the beach, a kind of situationist slogan from Paris 1968, a sort of revolutionary slogan. And Shirley Bassey is singing it, probably not knowing what's what's happening here. But, <laughs> That's you know, cool, isn't it? Bless her I for doing it. Like bless that. them for sneaking it in. I love shit like that. So for Lucas and Steve, who won't be aware, that, uh, the Mannix wrote a song for Shirley Bassey uh, in 2007? Oh, I don't 2007, know. Because it was the <laughs> year remember. she played Glastonbury, I think. Amazing. I think they both played Glastonbury, and it would have, yeah, it would have been because Arctic Monkeys covered Diamonds Are Forever, and they, yeah. uh, they, there you go. That's how my brain works. So <laughs> I think we should, <laughs> um, we should get on to the album that we're here to talk about, which is Journal for Play Glovers. Um, usually we kind of deal with a bit of the history and context surrounding the album, but also we like to sort of. Uh, catch up with what we talked about last time what's going on and I thought as we had a Mannix expert and biographer on we would still ask Lucas so Lucas what is going on with the history uh, Steve got really into them yeah they that's took, an important they, they part of that, the Mannix they took, yeah, that, they took that really badly yeah. right. and so they sort of went in on themselves for the next album and sort of yeah. you know yeah. the name of the album Jennifer Plague Lovers. Yeah. Do you remember the name of the last album? Send Away the Tigers. Great. Mate, you underestimate me. Underestimate <laughs> me. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, what yeah. they done, they, they, they released Send Away the Tigers and they probably toured it and it was quite successful. They and toured they it probably a hell of a lot from They probably toured it for a while about. and then they probably went into the studio again and did this. Good, good. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. <laughs> um, there are like other bits of context that end up being very important to this album. Now, Lucas, you, as far as I'm aware, you aren't aware of this at all. Um, You aren't aware of the thing about this album. You said you had a guess, and then you Googled it to confirm that guess, which means we have no proof that you guessed correctly. I guessed correctly. (laughs) I'll take your word I listened to half the album, and I went... (laughs) This is written. The lyrics of this are written by Richie Edwards. And okay. I googled it, and I was right. That's really interesting, actually. Yeah, that's interesting. I that think that it was apparent, so apparent within about thirty-five seconds. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, you may have to remember, Simon. We've been listening to Manic's albums like quite intensely, like one after the other in a row. So I guess that like they're just floating around your head. You, you may say like I'm. That. You may say I'm not a fan, but there's one thing I can now do. It is recognise patterns and. 
different styles of manic songs. Yeah. <laughs> For better or ill, I can recognise them. Yeah. We will get on to that when we start talking about the music, because that is actually very interesting that that, that, that did just click for you. Um, okay. Three things that, to my mind, sort of are very important. One is that in January 1995, Richie gives Nicky a book, and on the front cover is Bugs Bunny and the word opulence, and it contains <laughs> lyrics and pictures and like bits of writing, and he gives photocopied versions of that to James and Sean as well. Um, what we year was that? Now, that is January 1995. When is that in the timeline of the Manix? So Richie, the last time he is seen is February the 1st, 1995, I believe. Right, so oh, it is, okay. it is in that window. Yes, it's just before. Um, in November 2008, Richie is declared presumed dead, which I believe is a legal sort of thing. Um, and then in May 2009, so six months after that, Journal for Plague Lovers is released. Now, in amongst all of that stuff is the decision to use only Richie's lyrics for this album. Right. Um, what do you guys think of that decision, firstly? Can I just go back? Did you say in... Sure. I think you said in 1998, Richie was declared dead. Do you mean 2008. in 2008? I just heard you wrong. Do you know what's funny? That was my other guess. Again, no way of proving it. But my other, my, Wait, my other guess was, was guess? my other guess was was Richie Edwards officially declared dead before they released this album, and that got them very right. Going back to all of that, you know, we should we point opened, out that he is declared presumed dead yes, rather than actually fine. declared dead. Yeah. Um, Again, I can't prove it. What the okay, right, good. But I got it right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. okay, good. Um, what do you guys think of the decision to to use the lyrics? It automatically... Like, was this... What well, my question was going to be was, was this known before the album came out that this is the album with the lyrics? Yes. Okay. So it was like announced that- like... Simon, correct me if I'm wrong. It was announced like a couple of months before it came out, right? Yeah, it was. It was very yeah. much part of the conversation of the album. I mean, there have been rumours for years that they had these lyrics and this, this, these sort of folders from, from Richie and, and uh, it, the, the question had been hanging over them for so long, like what are they going to do with it? Are they ever going to do anything with it? And there was talk of putting it out as, as a book. Um, yeah. But then I think during an interview when you know, they were sort of mulling that over, um, Nicky just sort of quoted a bit of it um, saying, there's a line, I want to cut the feet off a ballerina. And then Block Party read that interview and took that line and used it in one of their songs. And I wonder if the Manics thought, you know, fuck this. If, um, if you know, if these lyrics are going to be out there in the world, it should we be should us put putting it out yeah, there, yeah, exactly. not someone else. They'd already um, used some of them, of course, you know, so um, Elvis Impersonator, Blackpool Pier, Kevin Carter, Removables and Small Black yeah. Flowers That Grow in the Sky, all on um, Everything Must Go. But then they kind of put it to one side but there was an interview with James way after the fact where he said that they felt like they were honouring an unwritten contract with, with Richie by doing this and and that when it got to actually recording it the experience of doing it was the closest they'd ever felt to having him back in the room again so wow. you can see from that point of view why it was kind of appealing to them to, to do it it was like an itch they had to scratch in some ways yeah I think they talked about how for years they just felt like they weren't ready 
to tackle those lyrics or, or use them in songs and really had no idea what to do with them. But they were damned then, if they do, damned if they don't in some ways because um, the fans would never forgive them for keeping those lyrics secret, you know. Um, if they just sat on them forever, you know, there'd be a lot of the sort of hardcore fans that would just be really furious about that. Imagine um, the weight of the responsibility of yeah. doing them justice. Oh, well, yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. <laughs> but also, you know, um, when they did that, there would always be an accusation from some quarters that, oh, well, they've run out of creative juices. They're just harking back to the guy who wrote the songs right. in the old days. So, they were, yeah, they were sort of between a rock and a hard place, really. But I think they did the right thing. I suppose that's why it makes sense to not then sort of, like, take bits and pieces here and there and to release them as one project and be like, you know, this is the thing about this project. Yeah. And and that's how we're using them. I mean, they, they, they are a band who do eventually give in to that kind of pressure. So, for example, um, you know, people nagging them to finally sort of tour the Holy Bible as a thing, which they eventually did. Yeah, uh, which then opened then- the floodgates for them. Touring every album. Touring every album, yeah. Released. Except for Gold Against the Soul. They need to do Gold Against the Soul. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, that. And also just talking of Gold Against the Soul, um, things like, you know, Sleep Flower, the fact that that became a sort of standing joke for yeah. many years that the fans would always and shout out give in Sleep to Flower, it. eventually yeah. give in and do it. So it's a little bit like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I've heard James also say that like, he absolutely did not want to try and follow up the success of Send Away the Tigers. And he was, he didn't want to write a single and he didn't want to compete with themselves or other bands. They wanted to do something a little bit smaller, which I think freaked Nicky out a little bit, who has since like been quoted as saying, this could be really damaging for us. Right. Um, I think at one point he wanted to, uh, after the album had been recorded, he wanted to burn it. <laughs> and right. and film the burning of all of the tapes as some kind of art project. It does sound like a Manic's music video. <laughs> that does. It does sound like something they would do, like the KLF or something. It's quite interesting yeah. that in in the interview that I was just quoting from there from James, it was a, a piece where he was being asked to rank the Manic's albums, um, and he only put, he put this one ninth, which really surprised me that it was that low. But that's how he yeah. felt about it. It was it was all about the process of doing it for him rather than the end result. Enjoy the process of making it, but he's, he's not that fond of the record itself. You think there was a degree of this is something I have to do rather than something I'm I'm actively wanting to do? Maybe, but we have to remember as well that when they toured that album, they really toured that album in that they played gigs where the entire first half of the gig was just that album. Then they'd go off and come back on and do the hits. Um, so... They must have been very proud of it at the time. Nobody's making them do that. The, the normal thing when you've got a new album out is just slip five or six of the songs into your normal set. But um, I've always taken yeah. that as sort of the um, uh, uh, as them wanting it to be a piece mm. and never sort of anything else. Sure. So when they toured it, it's this whole thing. Oh, hit my mic! It's a whole block of stuff, and then we're done with that, and we can get on with sort of the hits you know they didn't want to put um jackie collins existential question time next to motorcycle emptiness <laughs> yeah oh, it would work but yeah i mean oh, yeah, um, sure. I'm, I'm not sure how you felt you must have gone to one of those gigs i'm sure right i went to two of the roundhouse ones yeah yeah i saw I loved in, it. um Plan did know and also i think went to the roundhouse 
And um, I've got to admit, at the time, I was more excited about hearing that new album as a piece than I yeah. was about the hits. I've seen the Manics do the hits a million times, you know, and don't get me wrong, yeah. nothing wrong with that, but, you know. I mean, um, they're good hits, Simon. They are good hits. They're good hits. <laughs> but I wanted, I wanted to hear this thing that they could not play in Hyde Park for Radio 2 on a Sunday afternoon. Oh, imagine if of, they did, though. Yeah, yeah, that'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's also not like... Uh, no, actually, do you know what? These days, maybe that is outside of the realms of possibility. But if it was 1992, maybe that's something they would have done. Um, <laughs> it, it seems like the album like, is then completely, like understandably, completely informed by that decision. Like, they choose to record with Steve Albini, yeah. who is... Uh, a, a Richie favourite in terms of producers. Uh, Albini produced um, the Nirvana record that is not popping into my head. Someone in utero. In utero. Thank you very much. Yes, and he is markedly like not. He doesn't class himself as a producer. He is like a re- a recorder. Yeah, it says recorded pre- by Steve Albini, doesn't it? On his yeah, record. exactly. Yeah. So he will. He wants to record the band as they are playing with minimal interference from him and he just wants to capture the best version of that um he was actually sort of pretty much unfamiliar with the manics beforehand um but called them total pros so that's <laughs> that's praise say, yeah. from <laughs> that's praise from Steve Albini who is famously like quite grumpy but also did you know you can just hire Steve Albini did you know that can you there's no like great process to like getting Steve Albini. You can go onto his website and you can book some time in his recording studio and he'll record you. Right. And it's like 3 grand for 2 days. So if you guys want to go th- if you guys want to go three ways on that. What? Start a band. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Or just, re- or just record one of our podcasts with Steve sure, Albini. Yeah. 3 grand. <laughs> really distorted um, was- microphones, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really like post-punk version of this podcast Um, it was all recorded in uh, Rockfield and like you said Simon James considered it like it was kind of playing with the full band again as though they were collaborating with Richie thing is Rockfield Um, of course is a much more classic luxurious studio than the place where they recorded this album's predecessor, the Holy Bible, not yes, not chronological absolutely. predecessor, but it's kind of artistic predecessor. Mm. So very different experience. You I know, think that comes through in the record as well. You think it's a much like nice, it's a much more pleasantly put together record than the Holy Bible. It's less muddy sounding. Mm. Do you know what I mean by that? This is my musical knowledge coming through, <laughs> but it doesn't have the sludgy quality that. Um, Holy Bible had, and I mean that nicely because I loved the Holy Bible. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's much cleaner produced. I think maybe with, um, possibly with Journal for Plague Lovers, they had to add the mud because Rockfield wouldn't have that naturally. Mm. Whereas Sarah right. Space, it was in the walls of that weird <laughs> yeah. tri- triangular little space that they were in. Uh, and um, I, I gather, I hope I'm not sort of talking out of turn or getting this wrong, but Steve Albini wasn't even there that long. I think he might have just done a couple of days to sort of tinker with a few things give him a few pointers and you know a, a lot of the sort of the real work was done by Dave Erringer who he's credited on yeah. about eight of the tracks right I think, which 
I mean, I don't know. I, like, it depends how well rehearsed the Manics were before they went in there, mm. and how quickly Steve Albini sort of churned stuff out. I suppose. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, a, a lot of a lot of the work was also done by Dave Ringo, especially on the sort of the more nuanced recordings. By which I mean the ones that feature acoustic guitar and strings, harps and stuff. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, one of the really interesting things for me about this album is that Nicky doesn't really contribute to the lyrics uh, at all. Um, he, he'll change a few words here and there and he yeah. has edited it. That's what like I was going to ask. Is he's this, edited is a this lot raw of them down. or is it they, they have tried to make it fit a bit you, better? Because I yeah. imagine it wasn't written as a song. It was more just written as poetry almost that's in my head maybe it's i mean one of, one of them is from like two pages worth of prose well okay um, <laughs> so like not not anywhere close uh, close to being a song but but what what's interesting to me is that even when richie was physically there with the band the most i ever got to was a 70 30 split yeah. with sort of you know nikki contributing still like quite a few lyrics i mean like one of the standouts on the holy bible for me this is yesterday yeah is is a nikki lyric um, I'm I'm wondering if like that, if if leaving them almost untouched was also part of, um, was also part of this process, to kind of not actively be a part of the lyric writing process. Does that make sense? That is also kind of spicy thing to do though, is to take someone's lyrics who's not able to have an input. And kind of make change and make changes. It's kind of a bit like, well, would they have agreed with this choice? Maybe I should just yeah. leave it alone. That's true. That is actually very true. But then they do make enough changes that they become songs. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, I mean, uh, James always has that task, doesn't he? It's one of the most yeah. challenging things about being James Dean Bradfield. I would imagine is whether it's Nicky or Richie, probably more so with Richie, um, having to make it singable. Yeah. And, you know, we've all heard the weird syntax of, you know, the way that syllables will be stretched over two lines or all <laughs> sort of compressed yeah. into one line. And I know I believe in nothing, but this is my nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And how do you sing that? <laughs> but he does, yeah. The, yeah, and the, the, there was even a little bit of that in the, in, um, the song they wrote for Shirley Bassey. Um, really? but, um, yeah, there was, there was some footage on, on the documentary of her sort of crossing out a couple of words to make it scan better. <laughs> and uh, I just thought, oh man, you know, if only you knew this always happens with the manics. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, it's just, yeah, it's just interesting to me. And, it, and it's part of the album that I almost sort of think, well, what could this have been if it was a truer collaboration with, with, with Nicky involved? What if he was then not just editing, but bouncing off of those ideas? Um I'm wondering how much that really changes the album or or if they even ever really considered doing that. We have to assume that, you know, Nick would have had some input into the editing process a lot I would I would guess. You know, the, the three of them in fact, you know, they exist as a kind of politburo that decisions are made collectively on pretty much everything. So, yeah, um I think for the sake of presenting the album to the public, the thing to say was these are all Richie's lyrics, but implicit in that particularly for anybody who knows about, you know, the sort of reams and reams of stuff that Richie used to write, it's it's implicit that, that you know, they have creatively edited it. Yeah. yeah. 
for sure definitely um the other interesting thing about this album is that like I guess it would have been really easy to just bash out another Send Away the Tigers, or at least I feel that it would have been really easy to sort of just continue down that route and appease newer fans and listeners who liked that album. This was a fairly risky decision. There were no singles released from this album, which again is sort of like a testament to the fact that I think they wanted it to stand as a piece. They played the album in full when they toured it. Um, I think think Peeled Apples and... Jackie Collins' Existential Question Time, which is one of the better titles I've ever heard on anything. Yeah. Um, they get some radio play for the, like the couple of months leading up to it, which which means that a big talking point, because of the way that Peeled Apples sounds and because it's Richie's lyrics, a big part of the conversation around this album, and not even really not even fueled by the band that much, but I remember being on the forums at the time and reading a lot of stuff in the press that this is the Holy Bible part two. Right. Um, and all of the the stuff that comes with that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That what? is... You know, we've talked about the Holy Bible. Have we talked about the Holy Bible? Yeah, probably fairly extensively. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> Doesn't ring that is... <laughs> a weighty album not just in terms of fan reception but just in terms of this weird sort of <laughs> like black hole sort of space it creates in my like musical knowledge and uh, their career um, it's a difficult thing to follow up yeah. I think but and it's definitely I the Holy Bible part 2 they, they can deny it all they like but you know it's, <laughs> it's, it's just so it so obviously is from from Having yeah, absolutely. artwork by the same artist, having the same font and the, the same tone and sound on the guitars and everything. Yeah, I'm, wond- I'm wondering what it is about that tone. Like, it, it's far more likely that James is is chasing the Holy Bible tone than it is like these lyrics demand that tone, isn't it? Mm. No, I don't know. I, I think, I, I think the latter personally. What do you guys think? I don't know. I think it would have made a very interesting acoustic album, or like. Well, it has its moments. I mean, I'm. (laughs) I mean, I'm glad Simon said it first because I was basically just going to say it's the Holy Bible too. I mean, but do you think that that is a deliberate move to make the Holy Bible Part Two, or do you think that that's how these lyrics uh, inspire the music? Both. We've always said how Thanks the Manics can have <laughs> big anthemic records and yet have the darkest, quite disturbing lyrics a lot of the time. Um, and that certainly is on this. However, it's, it's, I'm trying to find it hard to articulate what I'm trying to say. But I think, yeah, these lyrics, you couldn't have had these kind of words to your love alone is not enough. <laughs> right. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Which yeah, is a song about suicide anyway, but yeah. 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 Yes, yeah. I think I think that Richie brings out a side of the manic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cuz it went I, yeah, it went I away think... literally within an album's worth of him no longer being a part of the band. And the then they made a, then they made an album with his lyrics and then it went back to that sound. Like half of the <laughs> lyrics on everything must go are Richie's lyrics. Yeah, and no, they're the worst songs. 
Oh. <gasps> what are you talking about? He wanted a reaction. He wanted a reaction. He wanted a reaction. One of your favourite songs off that album is The Girl Who Wanted to Be God, which is a Richard lyric. Fuck you. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> I wonder how much it lends to the fact that they're so complex, like we were saying earlier, that to try and jam it in to verses, that it's almost going to change the way you write a song yeah. naturally. If you've got simple lyrics that rhyme for a start um, <laughs> but also you've got less syllables then you it maybe that makes you creatively make a pop song i don't absolutely know. and um, there's the, a lot of words on this album Steve. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and that they're not words that flow in kind of normal sentences they're quite jammed together in a sort of jagged way it's quite staccato yes so i i think i think you're right i think that that would require james to sing in a certain way so it's not just about the kind of content of uh, you know what, what, what's being said but it's the manner in which it's being said does require a certain kind of delivery I agree mm. however it's still got some ripping solos <laughs> <laughs> yeah and some great choruses as well yeah, like yeah, yeah. The, but I suppose even you know the Holy Bible has got catchy choruses true like it's not all like experimental industrial sort of stuff is it there is also revol and I can't wait the to cor- figure the chorus of yes yeah I can't wait to talk you can't to you guys. figure out what any of this means. No, no, I can't wait to talk <laughs> oh, right. to you about what a sex pistol is. I can't wait to hear <laughs> what you answer oh, on the. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, absolutely. Sweet. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I suppose there's also like the content of these lyrics is much bleaker than anything since the Holy Bible. And although you're right, Steve, they have these like anthemic songs with the dark subjects. There is no song after the Holy Bible with as dark a subject as something like she bathed herself in a bath of bleach. Um, one of the more upbeat numbers on the album, uh, <laughs> weirdly. Um, so I suppose that this is just another example of the Manics kind of shifting their tone to meet the lyrics uh, as they did with the Holy Bible. But you are right. I, I do agree that it is kind of, it is the Holy Bible part two, although I, I think that like the Holy Bible part two is, is somewhat of, of an oversimplification maybe. But at the time I was very excited by that idea um which brings us uh to the album um the album journal for plague lovers was released on may the 18th 2009 it's 13 tracks long plus a hidden track 42 minutes long including the hidden track it's produced by steve albini and dave erringer the artwork um is stare by jenny savile who's the same artist as the holy bible which we will come on to later on. Um, and there is a quote on the inside of Steve, as there is with every Mannix album. That quote is from George Bernard Shaw, which is, a life spent making mistakes is not only more honourable, but more useful than a life spent doing nothing. Um, which is actually interesting when you, when you look at it in the context of, uh, the, you know, when it's married to this album. Right, well, let's get into it. Um... Simon, this is the first time we've ever had someone on for a track by track, Ooh. and I it's going I to take we um, an extra thirty three percent as long, maybe. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. <clears throat> I knew that we wanted to have you on for something after the, the things covered by everything, because I don't think yeah. you're like on record as as uh, as in depth uh, on 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 the latter records as it obviously you are the earlier records no it's quite nice for me to immerse myself in this album because yeah you're right I've, I've said everything I could possibly say about the earlier ones and 
Um, I I did review the album, not only a sort of fairly short review. Um, I reviewed the gig in Llandidno, but essentially I've not written much about this. Um, why, why did you pick this album to cover? I think you said it was either either this or Futurology, right? Yeah, because um, we were talking earlier about that tension among the fan base and within the band themselves between commerce and art. Gold against the soul, if you like. Right. <laughs> uh, and and um, I'm, I'm the Holy Bible kind of guy, you know, really. I mm-hmm. mean, um, I, I love Everything Must Go, but generally speaking, when they're doing their kind of uh, I don't know. Everything must go. Part three, part four. Um, I'm, I'm a bit less interested than when they're doing something a little bit more more challenging, shall we say, artistically. So yeah, Futurology and Journal for Plague Lovers in the last, well, in in this century, shall we say, are um, my favourites. Um, this album is probably. I mean, it, it's definitely my top five Manics albums. Could even be in my top three. Wow. Okay. That's a that's a big shout. Yeah. I mean, Luke, uh, Lucas, don't call it dog shit. <laughs> yeah, please. You can't censor me. <laughs> well, okay, so guys, how do you sort of feel about this album? So this, um, when I've talked about, because I tell a lot of people I'm in a podcast, I can't help it. I'm a 30-year-old in guy. In a podcast. Like, guys, I don't know if you know, I've actually got a podcast. Um, but when I, when I tell people... <laughs> about what it, what it's about and and how we talk about it. it's like context they stop music. listening to you they instantly stop listening to me yeah. i keep talking um <laughs> and i'm shouting after them in the street and <laughs> i don't know you steve leave me alone. um they know your name but, though that's weird isn't it um and so i kind of i knew i knew the context behind this album and that's the kind of example i give like if you found out before you heard an album that the lyrics were written by uh, a member of the band who went missing is presumed presumed dead is that going to completely change how you feel about the album and for me yeah Mm. i went straight into it knowing this so every word i was like yes it's this um so automatically i i felt it was going to have a a darker more complex tone and now after we've like done the holy bible i assumed it was going to be yeah that part two thing floating over the top of it um and yeah that's that's what i've got going into it it's dark it's complex it's um but it it's still got that kind of Slightly anthemic. You can hear that they've done "Send Away the Tigers" before this on this on this album. I think. Right. One and of the things he texted me was, uh, "It sounds like Send Away the Tigers grew up and went to uni." Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So you've got these like little bass runs and like solos and crunchy guitars, and then um, but then yeah, it dips into songs that you're like, you know, William's last word, and and it's just. Um, it's a it's a beast. I will say that without trying to give away my hand too much about how I feel about it. Uh, <laughs> Lucas, how do you feel about it? It's the Holy Bible Part Two, but worse. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> I mean, I did pre-apologise to Adam before this episode <laughs> because I don't like it. Uh, Oh, I don't like it. Mind. I don't like it at all. Adam's taking his headphones <laughs> off. He's walking yeah. away. <laughs> I've set, taken off my t-shirt, set fire to it, and I'm yeah. swinging it around my head. Um, <laughs> you think it's worse than the Holy Bible? Yeah, this has made me. Re- I mean, I agree with you. I think this it's has not made as good me as the reassess the Holy Bible. Like maybe the Holy Bible is better than I thought because because this is worse. <laughs> That's so interesting. That's really interesting. I'm, I'm quite. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I really definitely thought you would prefer this to the Holy Bible. What is it that you think that you are not responding to as much? And don't just say the songs. Uh, Adam, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna dislike every word I say <laughs> because not only in my opinions something you disagree with, but also the ways you can't in which back them up. The, I can't back them up <laughs> in good and and well-rounded ways because the, the the basically it's it sounds like the Holy Bible, but less interesting more generic sort of it's the songs i don't respond to on the earlier albums like yeah. the second half of know your enemy sure yeah give that put but, them put them through a holy bible filter and this is sort of how i hear this album i don't hear it like at least the holy bible but then the holy bible i hadn't heard everything must go and like lifeblood at that point so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> we should we should point out at this juncture for anybody who for some reason well actually no people might be joining us just because simon price his name is in the title <laughs> that's absolutely like a perfectly reasonable uh assumption uh lucas doesn't you don't really listen to lyrics right you don't really think too deeply about lyrics or the position of a song i or... don't my echo just activated when i said i don't cool. Uh, okay. <laughs> cool. Um, I'm sorry, Lucas. I don't know what you mean by "Journal for Plague Lovers" isn't very good. Is that what she just said to you? No, it actually, what? it actually starts screaming oh, when, yeah. I say the words, when I say the words "Journal for Plague Lovers" because um, it's been having it play through it constantly for the last week. Yeah. Um, much, much to its detriment. Um, okay. All right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, it's gonna be interesting. The uh, I've already forgotten the question. Lyrics, you don't really pay Lyrics, much attention to them. Um, I don't not pay attention to them. I don't give them anywhere near as much attention. Thought. Care and attention as maybe your Adam Scott Glasspools of the world. And sure. if a song's interesting, about an interesting subject matter, but isn't a song that I actually enjoy listening to, it doesn't make it worthwhile for me. It makes, is, it, it, makes it makes recording four hours of podcast content about the Holy Bible quite interesting to do for me. And I enjoyed every minute of recording that episode and talking about it more than every minute of listening to the actual album itself. So you almost prefer so. the context to the actual Well, yeah, that's what I said when we did Holy Bible. Yeah. Was like was like, I'd probably find it more interesting to just like read Richie's diary yeah. than to listen to that song. Because I don't, that's not how I like listening to music i don't like listening to music that i don't like listening to right that is probably that's, okay that sums it up you don't like it, listening to music that you don't like listening if it's to. if it's a, yeah. if it's a okay, drag to great. get through it's like regardless of how how many how much merit it has for other reasons if it's a drag to listen to in my opinion then it's not gonna um it's not gonna get me very far i can so Simon, as a music journalist, or, yeah. or like you know, the opposite of of Lucas, what how is much your do you reaction? Hate, how much do you hate Lucas? <laughs> <laughs> what is your reaction to that? Uh, you know, in in the words of the dude from the Big Lebowski, that's that's just like his opinion, man. Yeah, um, yeah, perfect. That's yeah. true. Uh, no, I, it's it's absolutely fine um, to to not be a lyrics guy, as, as I was saying earlier, and and even even the whole thing about bringing context to it. Um, I think, you know, as, as a music journalist, a lot of what I write is trying to sort of uh, open up the context of particular records or particular artists for for the readers. But it's absolutely fine if, if they just don't want to hear that, if they just want to hear the music um, as a standalone thing. Um, 
I think it can really enhance it if, if you know the backstory. But on the other hand, we all bring our own context to to pop records, you know. Um, for sure. What, what, what a pop record means to you, if it's one from 20 or 30 years ago, will be so wrapped up in what was going on in your life at the time. Never mind the artist's life, yeah. your life. So um, it, it's, it's, it's quite free-flowing, you know. Music is this kind of... It's almost like a sort of ping pong ball on the on the sea of culture, just bobbing around all over the place. And you know, maybe uh, where it came from will have some relevance, and maybe it won't. Yeah, and, and bear in mind, my context for all of these albums is the the episode we record about each album. Yeah, <laughs> like right. My yeah, your context is this is the first time I'm my historical this context album. Yeah. is the last two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, for me, they are like. They're not fucking around with this album. One of the things I thought you would respond to, Lucas, is that like they're known for squeezing lyrics into songs, and here they're squeezing songs into an album. Like seven of the tracks are under three minutes long. I mean, I've, some I've, of them substantially. I mean, one is barely over two minutes. Yeah, I like I like the short. I mean, well, no, I say I like that the songs are shorter. That's only because I don't really like the songs, though. If I thought Fuck they as, if I thought they absolutely slapped, I'd enjoy them being ten minutes long because like right, I'd happily sure. sit in it for ten minutes. Yeah. Um, for me, like. I kind of am aware that a lot of the lyrics were left on the cutting room floor. Mm. I, I, I think I would have been really interested to see, like, there's some like in- incredible lyrics that aren't on the album, and it's it's interesting to have those published along with the album as as a piece of context. But I do I, I'm going to try and focus on all of the things that the album is rather than all the things that that the album isn't or all of the things that the album doesn't feature. Um, I think it does its job in regards to how James described it as an attempt to sort of cement the legacy of Richie Edwards. And I think that that definitely informs the decision to to not massively collaborate on the lyrics and just edit. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the, the lyrics on this album, personally for me, I think that they are just like incredible. I think these are in places a better set of lyrics than the Holy Bible. Yeah. Um, I think he was getting better. He was yeah, improving. I agree with I really that. Do. When yeah. were these lyrics that. written? Were they just after they the Holy Bible? Post the Holy Bible, right? Yeah. Yeah. So and we can assume them... roughly a year after the Holy Bible would have been mm-hmm. written, something like that. Yeah, and that would have been around the time that Richie was in hospital, uh, quite a lot receiving treatment for um, for his anorexia and his depression and his alcoholism. So it does go to actually some some darker places, like personally speaking like I know that the Holy Bible dealt with a lot of sort of Holocaust imagery and human atrocities en masse but this seems to be very much focused on um, the inner darkness of a person Um, and I think an an interesting thing is that up until this point a lot of people had said oh well you know the Holy Bible is the last thing ever written by somebody who was just about to disappear a, a clearly, you know, troubled young man, but actually, this is yeah, um, which gives it a very interesting um, place in the context of their career, because we are now looking back on the mind of someone who was just about to go missing, um, sort of what is it? It's fourteen years later. Yeah. I really like this album. That's not really going to surprise you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's not exactly it. Do, a twist. It, do, it doesn't not surprise me, if I'm honest. 
Go on. I, I thought. Well, I know there was. I know. I still know there is an album to come that you actively don't like. Yeah. Obviously, the list is getting shorter and shorter with every yeah. episode we do. And I, thought maybe, one, and I thought maybe there was a chance that this is like you don't like it because it's like trying to ape your favourite album. And uh, so maybe you just I'm, go, nah, it can fuck off because it's trying to ape the Holy Bible. Like maybe you I'm less it, convinced but. that it's trying to ape something and more that this is, when you are presented with those lyrics, this is what comes out. Mm. Um, let's go track by track. You know so little about me. What if I turn in... To a werewolf or one of the songs that you don't like Lucas I'm quitting the podcast <laughs> it's probably it's probably up there on this album yeah but it's damning with faint praise that is a 24 carat hot badger yeah so <laughs> so, so you know when when as soon as literally when you said about it was surprising that I immediately picked up on the Richie Edwardsness of it yeah. Um I thought it before I even heard the lyrics. Right. I because literally of the tone heard of I the heard guitar. the bass line. Yeah. And mm. just the dirge and was like, There's some holy Bible shit going on here. And it then I, and since I knew the album had a thing, I probably wouldn't have thought it if I didn't know this mysterious thing existed. I probably wouldn't have bothered right. to look it up. But because I knew there was a thing, I was, you know, immediately looking out for the thing and I thought the thing from the, movie, the from, the, from the movie The Thing. From the movie The Thing, the remake. Right. Right, with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, same. You were yeah. looking out for that thing during the I was looking album. out for that film. Well, it's no wonder that you don't like it because that must have been very stressful. <laughs> Not knowing who had the thing and didn't have the thing. Uh, the bass on this song is very cool. This song is heavy. Yeah. And I man. love it. <laughs> I was just pulled in instantly. And it's just it's just that ride on the that Sean's doing on the, the drums. Oh, it's just so good. Um, but yeah, automatically you just got this dark tone instantly. Um, yeah, and it sets one, up one the thing. Album one thing that we've that we've consistently said about Manix is 
their opening tracks are so good at like laying out their stall of what the album is going to be. Like, I think even from the literally the get go, from having a, a quote, having a kind of sound clip, it, which it's is who of, Stephen? It is. Um, I've forgotten his name. Isn't that mad? Batman, <laughs> Christian Bale it's and the Machinist. Batman. Yeah, Batman. yeah, yeah. Uh, Christian Bale from the Machinist, right? Which I uh, haven't you seen. You know so little about me. What if I turn into a werewolf or something? <laughs> um, you haven't seen the Machinist, no. But I know do, about it. I know, you know the, what it's the about? body trans. I know the yeah. body transformation he went through for that. Um, right. Which I can yeah. only imagine they used um, because is the because the character's anorexic in in that movie. And, it certainly conjures that image, of, doesn't it? But yeah. also that um, I think a lot of this album deals with transformation um and i think that opening the album with the quote what if i turn into a werewolf something uh, a werewolf or something there's a line later on in the album about neophobia which is the fear of something the new. unfamiliar or something new mm. um and i think the idea of being scared of what you might turn into is certainly something that richie sort of deals with in these lyrics and obviously then the Manics picked up on to then use a clip from a film that came out 10 years before um, uh, 10 years after uh, the last time Richie was heard from yeah I was quite surprised um, by that that they used culture from after Richie's time if you know what I mean and something um, so contemporary it had only been out about 5 years at that mm. point yeah that usually it's sort of um, grainy dialogue from a Russian film yeah. So like I that. I heard it and was immediately trying to just re- I was trying to think of what film is it that, that in which Christian Bale plays a werewolf I was like <laughs> yes. well, I just took it very literally I was like when's he talking uh, oh, about it's an American Werewolf in Gotham it's talking about that's it yeah is he an American Werewolf in London no yeah. carry on good Simon what was your initial reaction <laughs> to this song the first time you heard it. Well, it's interesting, Lucas, talking about the bass and how he immediately sensed the holy Bibleness of that. Mm. Because, yeah, I think that bass riff from Nicky Wire there feels like it's in conversation with Archives of Pain from the Holy Bible. Yeah. You know, definitely. Archives of Pain. And this one is. It seems like very much almost harmonizing with each other and um, doing a little dance there with each other. It's, it's interesting. Um, yeah, uh, and as soon as the guitars kicked in, after all the hype beforehand that this was going to be the Holy Bible Part Two, as soon as James's guitars came in, I just thought, yes, they've done it. They've actually. I felt like I could relax then. I thought, okay, <laughs> this is this is really happening. This is really. We're happening. in safe hands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. There, of course, there was um, a brilliant essay with the album. Um, it, in fact, it was sent out as a sort of. Uh, press release beforehand by John Niven, by the author John Niven, um, and it's it's in the booklet of the album. Uh, and uh, at, at the start of that, he kind of deconstructs the line from this song, "Riderless Horses and Chomsky's Camelot," and he deduces from it that it's a reference to the funeral of John F. Kennedy. Um, and of course, that in itself, that's a throwback to the mention of the Zapruder footage on the Holy Bible in, in the song If White America Told the Truth For One Day His World Would Fall Apart and that's just in five words and, and Niven gets so much more from those five words but it's just the lyrics are so rich with meaning it's, you know, it's, it's almost you know you could squeeze them and this kind of oil of meaning comes out of them it's just so much um, it's absolutely mad like a lot of and I'm, I'm not like trying to uh, 
play down how good Nicky is as a lyricist because I do think he's really good at a different style of writing. But when I was when we we write a lot of notes for our um, analysis on these songs, and what occurred to me is when Nicky writes a song, there will be an overall sort of an overarching theme or thing about the song that then a few lines of that will reference but a lot of it is quite personal and some of it is very much open to interpretation this some of this album seems to be talking about a different thing on every line it's back to that um, collage style you've talked about isn't it but yeah but it, but they all seem to coalesce still it's just this mad sort of packed Sort of, I mean, r- right from the very, like, right from the get-go, I think it sort of sets itself out as being apart from the Holy Bible, although being twinned with it. Which is the more I see, the less I scream. Like, I think that the Holy Bible is known for being so bleak because it does kind of wallow in the atrocities and kind of there is a shocked or almost sort of um, uh, exhilarated reaction to horror on the Holy Bible, whereas here. The more I see, the less I scream. It's completely worn off. Like there's a desensitization to the horrors that surround someone on this album. And sometimes this album's quite funny about oh, yeah. all the horrible things. Like there's a few jokes on this album. <laughs> I, I haven't. I don't know where those are. I can't wait to get into that. Uh, we'll get to them. There's some. There's some great. Not, some not, great stuff. I mean, it's like some. Go on. No, no. You go no, no. on. No, please, sir. <laughs> uh, no. I not worthy it's not worthy of interruption oh, okay Great. good anyway the was gonna say was you say about there's so much more to the lyrics is literally as simple as uh going on genius lyrics for this album uh we're once again back to every single line has a thing someone by written it. something <laughs> Whereas it? the last few albums has been like maybe nothing <laughs> or one per one per song it's back to like fucking hell right Right, I'm not uh, writing notes. I, on, I'm not writing notes on all of this. It's too much. Well, that is in theory my job. I try and stay away from genius because I don't want it to like. I try and get it from like different essays and 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 stuff. And for the same reason that I um that I avoided your book, Simon, for the first sort of shit. half of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's available no, now because... to buy. <laughs> yeah. Because if I had if I had read your book along with like researching the podcast, I might as well have just recorded the audiobook version of your book. You know yeah, I mean? it's funny. Like when when I'm um, called upon to talk about the Manics, particularly if I'm talking about the early days, I quite often have to reread my own book to remind myself <laughs> what I think. What are my opinions? I don't know what my opinions are. Oh, there they are, page eighty three or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, uh, I, I know you, you were saying earlier that this album is is um, kind of quite inward looking, quite personal. But there are um, some sort of more political moments, and I picked up on one in this song. There's that line, and this is almost a bit of a comedy moment as well. But um, it goes, "The Levi Gene will always be stronger than the Uzi." Classic um, sloganeering from the moment. It is, isn't it? And they, they've always been acutely aware of that kind of casual murderousness of capitalism um, yeah so you know on slash and burn you've got worms in the garden more real than mcdonald's um you know drain the blood and let the exxon spill in and then on new art riot hospital closure kills more than car bombs ever will but it saves money because people are expendable and it's that kind of awareness oh, so of the kind good. of commerce that the, the commerce of life and death which is something that comes up in a lot of manic songs and i, I thought it was interesting to see it here i suppose it's about yeah. soft power as well the idea of 
the Levi gene being stronger than Uzi. It's the phrase "soft power" probably wouldn't have been current when Richie wrote those words, but it's that concept anyway. I'm not sure I'm aware of what soft power is. You know, it's like um, uh, cultural influence. You know, basically um, America um, imposing itself um, uh, across the world without even needing an army, but just using its its popular culture to like a cultural infiltration. Yeah, yeah, it's you know cultural imperialism. Yeah. I suppose yeah. people would call it. Yeah. Uh, that's something that the Manics have always uh, kind of talked about is the uh, Americanization of other countries. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- that line in particular is followed by the line, a dwarf takes his cockerel out of the cockfight. <laughs> Does anybody have any fucking clue <laughs> what that means? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> See, what I did with this, I went on Genius, I didn't click on any of the links, but just, just so I could look at the lyrics, and I, t- I just yeah. read through them. And I thought, I don't know what the fuck any of this is about. Well, I like it. <laughs> they sound great, and they sound great in the song, the way that they're just sort of shoved in. Here's another one. Falcons attack the pigeons in the West Wing. I mean, Yeah, the one about the falcons and the pigeons. Yeah. It's just all of it. I, I think you don't necessarily have to pick apart every line, but you just get this general sense of a world that's going wrong, just just badness. You know, the, the overall effect is just kind of these badass images that it's a bit like sort of bad moon rising by queen's clearwater revival or something like that or <laughs> or any given nick cave song in fact i thought it was interesting that uh, in in the booklet in sorry in the folder that um we see some of it in the deluxe edition of this album um richie has scrawled who will build a box for black paul which is a nick cave which from a nick cave song from the sort of bad mm. seeds real kind of fire and brimstone period so it's yeah. just it's just that sense that even if you don't know what every word means, it's just building this sense of unease and it's this world that's it, you know just just going just going off the rails and going wrong, and like power clashes as well, right? Like falcons attacking pigeons in in the White House, um, a dwarf taking a cockerel out of the cockfight. I once impersonated a shop work dummy. That idea of giving your power over to somebody else, yeah, you do get a sense of a theme from these seemingly as you said steve like disparate pieces of yeah information that is being fed to you i mean that that second verse is just it just it's violent sounding anyway like no matter what yeah. you read into it you get an idea of like you said simon unease um and that is definitely a word i'd use for this entire album it made me feel uneasy it's also just like a fucking like I can't help but feel like energized by this song like it makes me feel aggressive well it's a very catchy chorus again but like he's yeah doing, it's, like, it's a chorus Johnson that actually and, like, like isn't out of place on send away the tigers yeah which which is what I was trying to get across with that weird university comment the first time I heard it that initially disappointed me because I think I was so caught up in that rhetoric of this is the Holy Bible part two. This ha- this is going to be difficult to listen to, and I shouldn't enjoy this album. <laughs> that, um, How old were you when it came I was out? Then dis- uh, I was uh, twenty. Um, okay. So, so you're the height of pompous dickhead. I'm at Adam. uni. It's my first year of yeah. uni. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Studying film. <laughs> so I was a bit disappointed when I was like, oh, I can tap my toe to this one. This, is, this doesn't sound like the intense humming of evil at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which Lucas is famously going to have his first dance at his wedding, isn't Isn't that right, Lucas? Um, if my wedding can go ahead, yes. Oh, no, Darth. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, bring oh, it right. Bring it home, Steve, yeah. Or is that the COVID thing? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. it's COVID. Okay. COVID. Oh, okay, good, good. That's good. Also, um, she might. Well, it's not good. Okay, well, <laughs> well, let's not get into it on, on the podcast. Um, next up, like, th- there's quite that. It is harsh, but it is also, you know, a, a toe-tapping little dance number. Um, and then comes what I would consider to be like the most obvious sort of single on the album. It, it becomes almost an ersatz sort of single because it's played on the radio and I think I think I have a seven inch release of it somewhere I think it was like released much later on down the line um, the magnificently titled Jackie Collins Existential Question Time did say before we started this that it does sound like Ron Burgundy doing vocal warm-ups Jackie Collins existential question time it's sure it's, it's yeah. the best standard name for fucking me and Stephen Hawking yeah yeah exactly yeah she based herself on jo- a bath of bleach yeah yeah um, they are good vocal warm-up tongue yeah. twister type things yeah uh I'd love to know what that means I'd love to know. I'd love to know what was going through the head of the person who wrote this. Did he have titles to songs? Where did the titles come from? Like, were they um, written and then there was a load of words underneath it, or was it maybe as they are presented in uh, the special edition that Simon alluded to? Um, they are typed with a typewriter. They have titles. They have some of them have verses, have choruses, okay. have bits scribbled out, have bits you know Fine. that aren't in the song present. Um, but I mean, you know, it, no no one writes uh, a, a song title "Jackie Collins Existential Question Time" unless it's Richie Edwards. <laughs> like that is that's so like his sort of uh, sense of humour. Um, it sort of seems to be tackling that idea of like low art versus high art again, which we've seen across the Manics career with those sort of collage sort of lyrics, that situationist sort of way of writing, which which actually comes up in this song, actually, now that I've just said it. Um, this idea of taking a very existential, metaphysical kind of question and attributing it, attributing it to a talk show hosted by Jackie Collins, who writes erotic novels. It could almost be from... Um, do you ever read Charlie Brooker's TV Go Home? Yes, yeah, you know, which yeah. is basically a sort One of, of those satire fake of TV a, shows. Yeah, like a satire of the yeah. Radio Times. You can imagine that being in the listings. Yeah, um, you know, um, just before Nathan Barley's cunt or whatever it was. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> sugar ape. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I think um, the the sort of refrain there, "Oh, mummy, what's a sex pistol?" It's so melodic that 
if this album was really going to be uh, just a photocopy of the Holy Bible, this would have been track one. Because I think this is the yes of this album. It's this super oh, poppy kind of thing, you know. Mm. Um, as for the, the the words itself, oh, mummy, what's a sex pistol? Um, a few years after Richie would have written this stuff, but a few years before this album came out, the Face magazine in its dying days had a front cover um, where there was um, a girl, uh, obviously in her young teens, saying, Daddy, who are the stone roses? And um, whenever right. I hear this line, it reminds me of that. And it, it, it seemed, both of them seem to imply that your old culture is dead. It's over. You know, oh, that's um, very interesting. That's how I read it anyway. It's, you know, um, the, the, the punk generation was, you know, the, the old punks were still dominating the British media and British cultural landscape and mm. you know uh, but but it's all over you know then <laughs> children who just don't know and don't care what okay. that was about I don't know the um the way I've always read it is this idea of like being confronted by something that could be deemed offensive but is actually art I, I think there are there were actually badges made at the time of a little girl saying mummy what's a sex pistol yeah. and were used as sort of advertising for the band um it's interestingly i mean that that comes up on this album because the artwork for this album um stare by jenny savile was censored in a lot of the supermarkets was um it? that stocked it yeah um they they made um they made the band sell it in a plain slip case that yeah, just said Tesco Manic Journal supermarkets. Yeah. yeah. Because it's a young it's a young androgynous child with blood on their face, which I always yeah. saw as a birthmark. Yeah, Jenny um, Savile says it's a port wine stain. They call that kind of birthmark, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. But it was yeah. deemed that it could have been like the result of, of violence or domestic abuse or or it, or the, just that it was blood on a child's face, and so they censored it. Well, I'm, I'd be um, interested to know what Lucas and Steve made of the artwork in conjunction with the album. Well, so I... I can hear Lucas desperately Googling the artwork. He <laughs> 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 um, shows up on Spotify every time. I know it. <laughs> well, I kind of... I saw it as Richie. Yeah. Mm. Um, and back when I first saw it because I, I was aware of the album Adam I think I remember you talking about it at the time when it came out um, and I remember seeing the album artwork and I my art knowledge even though I'd done it in college uh, did do very well as you can tell is that I, I assumed it was um, artwork of Richie that um, an artist had done um, and it, certainly that it's a now you've mentioned it I, I just assumed it was artistic license the way they've done the shading but yeah it definitely looks like a bloodied up child that it could mm. be it's a child um, it, who grew up with um, it, it's almost conflict and this is another reading I've just got now <laughs> when in movies when they have um, someone in conflict they have half their face in dark and half in light it happens a lot right <laughs> yeah and that's very much what's going on here um, half his face is bloodied the other half isn't yeah um, do you know so, I, I never connect Sorry, I'd, I'd never connected. I'd never seen that that image as as Richie. That's very interesting. Uh, that's that's automatically what I I connected to it. Me too, um, actually. I, yeah, that's and now now I know it, it is a piece of artwork that they chose for it. I assume that yeah, yeah it wasn't done. commissioned. No, no. Um, but I still see it. I, I still can't get away from that. From it. Um, it, it's, it's a troubled young man. That's what I see it as. 
But you know how um, on, on the Holy Bible, on the Holy Bible, the, the artwork from Jenny Savile, um, mm. strategy south face, front face, north face, it echoed the kind of body dysmorphia yeah. that yeah. Um, that Edwards was suffering because of, uh, you know, and songs like Four Stone, Seven Pounds, about anorexia and stuff. So um, those those bodies on that cover were very, very relevant to the content of the album. Um, on, on this one, I, I, I think the same thing applies. I, I really do. I, I, I couldn't help but imagine that child as being Richie. And I, I sort of tied it in with the person who, you know, wrote lines like, I don't want to be a man, or, or uh, there's nothing nice in my head, the adult world took it all away. I see it as this, this child who's sort of, you know, beautiful, but kind of battered and bloodied and bruised. Mm. You know, that's, that's kind of how, how it looked to me. And... Um, I, I didn't just think, oh, they think it's a nice picture, <laughs> you know. I thought yeah. it's it's definitely <laughs> trying to say something. To it's be clear, obviously that's trying not to say what something. I thought either. No. Yeah. <laughs> I actually saw. I've I've seen the painting in real life, by the way. Weirdly, I was uh, down in Cardiff reviewing a gig by the dreadful um, American rap rock duo Three O Three. If you remember them, and uh, I, no idea. I was, I was no put idea. up in a their sort of bloodhound gang type thing. I was I was put up in a hotel, the Radisson Blue in Central Cardiff. Went down for breakfast the next morning, and in the breakfast dining room, looked over my shoulder, and there it is, massive—the actual Jenny Savile painting that's on this album. It really freaked me out. It's quite wow. quite a big, quite a big canvas, you know, almost sort that of. That must be quite um, quite striking and intimidating at that size. Like yeah. I've only ever seen it sort of the CD sort of size. Absolutely, yeah. I thought you know if if it's meant to be too terrifying to have on the shelves in Tesco. I thought it was quite a bold move of Radisson Hotels to have it there where people are eating their breakfast. But, yeah. you know, mm. there we go. Um, I, I think it's a great piece of artwork. I, I mean, there's there's no other way that I'll possibly ever see it now than 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 what was just offered by you, Steve and Simon. Um, but I, I do think it sort of ties into that, to the song as the, like, oh, mummy, what's the sex pistol? That idea of being confronted by something that is an artistic choice I, I don't really know how to articulate that very well um lucas what are your what are your thoughts on this song in in sort of general it's better uh, it's but it's got a bit more melody it's got a little bit more melody uh yeah. it's not quite as dirgy like okay the like well it's got those amazing harmonics do, 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 yeah, yeah which are actually very difficult to play now nah, they're easy mate I Oh, okay. <laughs> do, we, do you want me to show you? I've got my James Dean Bradfield guitar over here. It's not the same guitar. Same guitar. Same. We don't need to go into it. Same we don't need guitar. to go into it. Um, uh, and also, a bit like vocally, it's a bit more like the the and his wife dies without knowing line. It's got a nice <laughs> his his voice. <laughs> yeah. What is your take, Lucas, on that um, that existential question? If a married man. Does fuck a Catholic and his wife <laughs> dies without knowing? Does that make him unfaithful? Just a yes or a no is fine. If a married man does fuck a Catholic <laughs> and his wife dies without knowing, does that make him unfaithful? Yes. Okay, Steve. Yep. Simon. <laughs> it's a it's a twist, isn't it? On um... no, Simon. Yes or no? Yes or no? Simon. Yes. Yes. Damn it. Yes. <laughs> right. Now, oh God, this, it's like Frost Nixon. Someone did this, right? No, someone did this. What? I what? imagine loads of people have done Yeah, what? but there's like a famous politician or someone who literally did exactly this. Wow. Is there? Yeah, what? some real Wait, piece you're trying of to say a famous politician was... Some real piece of shit actually did exactly shit? that situation. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Right. I forget. Right. Google it, Lucas. Yeah. Simon, it's a twist on... The old philosophical conundrum, you know, if a tree falls in a forest and there's no yeah. one there to hear it, does it make a noise? It's a weird kind of uh, twist on that involving sexual infidelity. I'm not, I mean, I don't really get why it's in the song. I'll be honest. No, I mean, and it's sort of 50% of the song. Yeah, because <laughs> it's sort of, it's just repeated. Um, yeah, I, it's it's a peculiar song. I mean, it's not the, not the only peculiar song on the record. Um, yeah, very. I, I love that the much more aggressive second half. Yeah, his voice is um, amazing. Yeah, at the end of this. Song. Um, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna attach in the show notes and send to you privately, Steve, the clip of just James Dean Bradfield's voice for that bit. Wow. Oh wow. And it's absolutely insane. It's, I imagine it's if you were in a room mad. with just him singing the vocals, it would be very intimidating in the recording you need studio. Like ear, you need like ear mufflers and, and stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's like a whole production. Yeah. Um, it also, go on, Steve. Sorry. It picks up later no, no, in the song as well, I seem to recall. It sort of gets, it sort of picks up a bit more. Yeah, so we just... That's what we just uh, were talking about, yeah. Yeah, and I... Sorry, I was, I was actually Googling about which politician cheated on his dying wife. <laughs> right, okay, I'm sure it's happened cool. a lot. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it, what, the chorus that Omami was a sex pistol, I, I like how it it actually just come, it comes back. Like, So you've got the first song, that you got the verses, and then the chorus is big. This goes right back into little... Almost like a little break, and then it goes back into... Da, 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 and and what, that's what I really liked about this song, Adam. It's... It's a great little. It's you know. It's a weirdly poppy sort of yeah. number, you know, especially for um, for the subject matter. Um, the next track is. A, oh, by the way, if I then start to move on, but one of you has something else to say on this song, do just cut me off. Don't let me move on unless you've said everything that you want to say on the song. Okay. I was um, just going to say something, going back to the artwork. No, which is Simon, the- I'm moving on now. <laughs> <laughs> bye, bye. No, no, go on, go on, go on, go on. And it's a bit of a bleak thing to bring up, but something did happen on um, Twitter slash Instagram the other day that, re- that reminded me of this. In the, um, uh, There was um, a woman who uh, put a photo on Instagram of herself with her young child, um, who I believe was born with an eye missing. And uh, somebody complained about it on Instagram, and Instagram agreed with the complainant and removed it. They said it had sort of breached Instagram's terms of service um, to have this this image that some people found upsetting. But it's actually a very loving image of of a mother sort of kissing this child on the cheek. Um, and this person then took to Twitter to try and sort of you know uh, sort of campaign to have it reinstated. And yeah, it just it it just sort of um, seemed to echo this weird thing that um, uh, an artwork sh- showing a child with you know a, a sort of facial deformity or a birthmark that was painted, I think, by Jenny Savile, not with the intent of horrifying, not the intent of shocking. It's meant no. to be evocative, in, uh, you know. I'm sure it's meant to evoke something, but uh, that the idea that such a thing needs to be hidden away, I thought, was kind of kind of interesting. That here we are, eleven years later, and that kind of thing's still going on. Uh, it just seems like a massive censor uh, uh, overstep. Like no one is actually offended by either of those images, but it yeah. would hurt the profit margins of the people stocking it or showing that picture if someone did complain about it. Yeah, it's so it's like a pre. 
Yeah, it's a preemptive censorship, isn't it? It's automatically yeah. making me think of Spinal Tap with "Smell My Glove" or whatever it is when they <laughs> smell the yeah. paint, exactly. when they paint it black, and it's just yeah, it's just yeah. black. The the, the yeah. thing that James Dean Bradfield said at the time was like, you can have loads of shiny buttocks and guns on yeah. magazines and CD yeah. covers, yeah. and no one bats an eyelid, but like you show them a piece of art and people just sort of freak out. Yeah, like and we all love yeah. shiny buttocks. We do love shiny yeah. buttocks. The shinier that, the That sounds like uh, a band that Simon you would have covered in the early 90s. Yeah, pretty sure uh, I saw them supporting <laughs> Sheep on Drugs in 92. Yeah, yeah it sounds about right. Yeah. When, I saw, um, when I saw the artwork, I just immediately figured it was like war. I just figured war-torn country, kids' oh, okay. face has been charred or, yeah. or dismembered in some way. Hmm. That was hmm. just like... I didn't. I didn't that's have any. I didn't have yeah. any. I was like, yeah, that's what it. It's that's what it's of, right? Because I'm small. Because I'm close-minded, and I see it and just figure out why it's that. No, not at all. That's it's still an artistic <laughs> take, isn't it? That's your like, take. On like it, Simon it? was saying earlier, you bring your own context to things, and yeah. everyone has a different take on a piece of art. And I don't know where you've been for the last eight months, Lucas, but that's what this podcast is about. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember? Have, do you we remember been doing this podcast? Have we been doing this podcast for eight months? Lucas has been um, doing LSD yeah. every single episode. Oh, <laughs> just realised how long we've been doing this for. <laughs> yeah. Um, me and Stephen Hawking. Your joke, Steve. Yeah, yeah, I had a, yeah. I was reading along yeah. as it went. That's great. <laughs> we in, in, in the printed lyric sheet, it even says brackets joke. Ha 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 ha. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. Well, you're not joking. No, I'm not joking. That's incredible. Literally, I love that. Yeah, Richie typed that out. Do you know what I've um, done that when I've written my notes and I've thought of a funny thing to say on the podcast? And in brackets, I've put really funny joke. Wow. Oh my god, cool. I'm just um, as artistic. Um, and when is it you're planning on saying any of those things that you've written uh, what, down? Funny? What, anything funny, you mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bless him. If he'd been around long enough for the internet, he would have written that and put, like, lots of exclamation marks going, uh, one, one, exclamation mark, one, exclamation mark, one, yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> lots of hashtags. Yeah. Uh, another fun and bouncy Yeah, it song. starts off so fun. Uh, yeah. There's a little it's got break those little... at the start. Yeah, those little breaks that then yeah. later on they fill with like little bass runs or yeah. just the guitar going or harmonics yeah. or harmonics. Uh, Lucas, I thought yeah. the days of me recognizing Manic songs were over after your love alone is not enough. 
for some reason you recognize this I recognise Wow. It maybe it's in a movie or probably not. Nope. Or, or <laughs> definitely not. Or, I, I kind of understand somewhere what you mean. it's been it's cropped up somewhere in my Interesting. Realm. That's very interesting. I maybe I can't just think remembering. Of, I mean when I say recognise it, yeah. that's the bit I recognised. And then nothing else. Okay. <laughs> um there's also like a lot to sort of get into in this song. I mean, we're going back to the, like excuse me, the the Holy Bible days of references. So like Herman the Bull and Tracy the Sheep were um the first species to have um other species introduced into their genomes artificially. Right. So it was hoped that they would help like combat diseases and cancer. Um transgenic milk containing human protein, their bacteria is cheaper than baby food. And then there was protests about that and the idea of meddling with other species genomes and the you know, the the famous slogan of that was today it's a cow, tomorrow it's you. Yeah. And then it moves on to African Punch and Judy show at half the price. And I've again, I've just lost the thread of whatever it is that Richie thought he might be talking about. So he's coming uh, out against genetic engineering here. Yeah. Um, which, in a way, it's a, very, it's, it's a very niche 90s concern that I think people are less, <laughs> less bold about now. Yeah. Um, well, there was a lot, I, Dolly the Sheep was such a big deal, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was such a big Absolutely. thing. But it, it does make me worry that if he's around now, he'd come out, he'd be an anti-vaxxer or he'd be on about chemtrails yeah. or, or, you know, 5G spreading COVID or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't want to think that. I don't want to believe he'd be that guy, but, <laughs> you know. There's also the chance that, like, you know, Richie being Richie, he's, you know, he's putting something in a song that he doesn't necessarily feel. So mm. you always have that to sort of comfort you, just in case you're worried he would be a, <laughs> an anti-vaxxer. I mean, it reminds me of, of PCP more than anything else, where he's railing against yeah. physical correctness, which you think, well, all right, you know, but it's not the biggest sort of uh, demon in the world, is it? You know, people just trying to speak a bit more nicely about uh, minority groups. It's not the end of the world, really, is it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, PCP, even though it's a fantastic song, it absolutely kicks ass, you know, I, 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 and they deliver it with such conviction. I just do something, oh, come on. You know, who cares? Yeah. There was that other song <laughs> on the Holy Bible that had a, a thing. It, um, you have to tell Archives me which of one. Pain. Yeah, is that the one that, it, that you're not sure of his pro or anti? Uh, well, he's advocating punishment. for the death. Yeah, he's oh, well, it's it quite seems like he could be advocating yeah. for capital punishment. And it's interesting yeah. whether he actually believed that or he's just putting an idea out there. And I remember you talking about that, Adam. Well, some of that yeah. crops up elsewhere on this album. Some of that okay. material. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But the the thing about him being funny, you know, we missed the sex revolution when we failed the physical. He was, you know, this is something that not everybody really gets if, if you didn't know him, but he was quite funny. <laughs> you know, it, people think he was like living in this world of torment the whole time, but he was quite a laugh. He really was. Yeah, you know? I, I, yeah I think that there is the impression that he was miserable 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Oh, yeah. and... What would give you that impression, though? <laughs> <laughs> like if you, unless, line, you, unless you know I, him personally, probably going to get that vibe. Yeah, fair enough. There's, fair some enough. there's some in TV interviews I'm sure I've seen where he's been quite dry and very funny. He's very funny. Like, like uh, he's, he's very sarcastic um, I, in I've, a lot of interviews. I've seen that lyric compared to Philip Larkin, which, fair enough, I suppose it's got a little bit of... I'm paraphrasing, but that thing that Larkin said about sex being invented between 
the the end of the Chatterley Band and the first Beatles record or something like that. It's right. a little bit of that in there. But I kept them, and I I don't know how up you are on your seventies sitcoms, but I just um, you know, it's a bit patchy. Yeah. A bit patchy I, I just imagined this line being delivered by Rigsby from Rising Damp. Um, yeah, which, yes. You know, uh, you know, okay. sex that's revolution. a reference I do get. Uh, yeah, I miss the sex revolution. Fail the physical, you know, it, under his, <laughs> muttering under his breath. Like there's that bit where somebody mentions uh, being on rations, and he goes, "Oh, we were in rations in those days," and he goes, "Been on rations ever since." <laughs> I think it's got this kind of uh, this aspect of this kind of uh, aging, thwarted would-be lover that isn't getting any essentially. And I, yeah, I, I wonder if Richie had a bit of that in mind, or maybe a bit of Charles Hawtrey and Carry On or something like that. It's got a little touch of that to it. <laughs> Something, something a bit camp. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, there's also like the reference to Giant Haystacks, which like, uh, who, who's a wrestler from the seventies and eighties. I've got no idea if he actually took place, to, like, took part in a fight in Bombay where a hundred thousand people watched it. It sounds unlikely. Yeah, I don't know. Never been into wrestling <laughs> but, much. So again, no idea what Richie's really talking about. What, um, one of the things that I don't massively like about this song. The, the Stephen, verse is repeated twice. Yeah, Stephen Lucas, you will be familiar with this, is that once we have the first time they said we missed the sex revolution when we failed the physical, the rest of the song is a repetition of the first half. Yeah. And now, I did think of you when I, when I, when I heard that it was repeated because I know you had issue with that on Send Away the Tigers quite a bit, how, how you did say it's fairly lazy the way that they've written. Yeah. However, this uh, their arm was probably completely wrenched in the way that they only had these words, I imagine. I imagine they well, didn't have a second verse. If you look at the lyrics, the original lyrics as Richie wrote them to this song, there's loads they cut out. Okay. okay. There's, well, there's, there's potentially, I would imagine Richie would have given them an essay. Yeah, there is potentially a whole other song there. And some of them, um, some of the lines from the, uh, from the stuff they cut out are just like genuinely fucking great. And they sound like... Um, like headlines from the day to day. Oh, really? So there's there's one that's <laughs> Queen Mother stuffed for exhibition. <laughs> that's so that's so Chris Morris. That's very Chris Morris. Yeah. Underground car park born at Stonehenge. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> increased plastic surgery for pubic hair. Now we're that's, to that's another Rahan, great one. Rahan, Rahan. <laughs> and and references to stuff like robot spiders. And stuff like that. So I, I, maybe they were, you know, maybe they were sensible edits. But it does frustrate me a little bit to have that sort of propensity to just repeat stuff. I think it's okay to repeat it as long as you acknowledge that's what you're doing, which is quite rare. But do you know the song "Judy Is a Punk" by the Ramones? Um, where they where they acknowledge that the yeah. second verse second verse same, same as, as the first, first. Yeah. and then the third when it goes third verse different from the first <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is amazing yeah so if they just put a little sound clip of something like that in yeah. I think I would have been uh, okay with it um, there is uh, a little sound clip at the beginning which uh, is I think it's Japanese uh, the translation is turn up the radio turn up the radio which is uh, from the movie The Sun, which is a Russian biographical film about Emperor Showa during the final days of World War II. Now, I haven't seen the film, but that context makes the phrase turn up the radio seem a little less celebratory than uh, it did when I initially initially heard it. Uh, I love that they're bringing in like all these weird uh, like reference points again. It's something that I felt was definitely missing from, from Send Away the Tigers. Mm. Um, 
It's something I haven't missed. Yeah, since the Holy it's Bible. All, <laughs> it's all a bit much for you, isn't it? <laughs> Just <laughs> play the songs, damn it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> play the good song. Well, this next song, um, by way of a segue, I'm becoming really good at this podcasting thing, guys. Uh, this next sure. song doesn't That'd be have true if any... I was done speaking. But I've got okay, loads more well, to say about that song. I bet you do go no, on. You don't. Um, uh, spoken words bit can always fuck off in every song. <laughs> we, okay, we've great. done this. Um, Just want to well, reiterate my wait, point. Wait for this segue then. Well, this, luckily, this song doesn't have a spoken word bit. Yeah? You see, I've, it's Very the good. same as what I just did. Yeah, yeah, um, same, yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. play this joke, Sports Seven, which I think this must be the song that Block Party kind of stole the line from. This must have been the song that Nicky was referencing. Um, and as such, that line is not included in the song anymore. Mm. Loose and guilty and wet Sterility persecutes And I have plenty Bruised and nailed and quit Merciful and mourned and meek Jealousy sows rejection with a kiss In silken palms that tear bone from skin This joke spot severed I endeavoured To find a place where I became untethered This joke's but severed It's very difficult to know when to sort of like edit the clips of the songs on this album because they've gone back to sort of non-traditional song structures. Mm. This song sort of opens up halfway through, which I which I thought... Um, May, may well be one of your favourite moments on the album, Lucas. This song? Yeah. Correct. Or at least the moment, yeah, the moment where this opens up. Oh, yes. it's wonderful, isn't it? Uh, yeah, this is among the, the my favourite on the album. It's a nice change of pace from just, like, dirty rock. Yeah. It's nice and it's got a nice little vibe to it. Nice vocals. Like Lucas, just, I feel like you're just you're building up to one word, and I feel like you should just kind of get there. Do you but. think the do you think the word's but? Nah, I haven't got a but. There's no but. No, 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 just, no. I'm thinking of very one specific, maybe instrumental sort of oh, words. There, what are the instruments on the song? So there's there's an acoustic guitar. Yeah, we've got the drums. There's yeah. the drums. There's some there's some singing there's vocals. Yeah, there's probably a bass guitar. It's <laughs> probably a bass guitar on the song. There's probably a bass yeah, guitar. Yeah, yeah. There's, some, there's, there's an electric guitar. There's an electric guitar. Microphones, they're famously used for a lot of the instruments. Are they an instrument? <laughs> Maybe. Okay, who's to say? Uh, I feel like we're missing something, oh, though, Lucas. Is, is, is there strings? Are there some strings? It's the are strings, there some strings yeah. on this, yeah, on yeah. this song? Yeah. Simon, are there some strings on this song? <laughs> um, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I like the bit when the drums come in, though. That's, yeah, that's yeah. It. yeah, when it all kicks in a bit more. Yeah, bit let's play, Moro, let's play Moro, a little bit it. of those strings. Let's yeah. play a little bit of those strings, just because I know, Lucas, this is going to make you make you happy. Mm-hmm. 
ocean with a kiss It's silken palms that tear bone from skin This joke's but... You don't get that on the Holy Bible. No, you don't. I, I will, however do the big fat caveat which is yes that makes this song you know a nicer one in the context of this album on the whole right now stick that song on lifeblood and i'm like (laughs) i'm not sure this song would fit on lifeblood if i'm honest Uh, probably not because lifeblood's (laughs) a really good album (laughs) yeah yeah you're not wrong this is simon briefly what are your thoughts on lifeblood it's the. I think it was the first Maddox album I didn't feel like I could go out and bat for. I really liked it, but I thought, you know, as a journalist, I'm not going to try and sell this to the world. You, you know, either you're into this or you're not. And um, mm. I, I could see that it might be one of their more difficult albums to love if you're not already sold on the Maddox. Yeah. So yeah, personally, for me, I liked show. it, but it was a, a hard one to sort of make a case for. Let's say. Yeah, that's that's actually yeah, that's a really nicely, uh, really nice way of, of, of putting it. Um, this the, uh, this joke sport severed. I think this might be my favourite lyric on the album. There's something so poetic about um, about a lot of it, especially um, jealousy sows rejection yeah. with a kiss in silken palms that tear bone from skin. Like I. I could write for a hundred years and not come up with anything 10% as good as that. It's his delivery as well that he does of, of that line is, is is great. I will say now, I think this might be in my top five Manic songs now. Ooh, that's big. That's it, real big. It is something about... Um, I don't know, the vocals, uh, they're like double-tracked or something. There's some sort of... Um, they are double-tracked. Double-tracked yeah. that, 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 that automatically like gives... Nick Drake... Mm. Um, and it it has that kind of dream state kind of sound to his vocals but it's just that break and it's just like white noise or something and then just to come Mm -hmm. back in with those drums and then the strings and um, it just builds and builds and this is obviously my favourite song on the album Um, and I had heard this song before because you put it in a playlist for me Adam I think but in context with the rest of this album it just really elevated it for me and um, Simon, when we did when we covered um, Forever Delayed, we kind of did our top ten Mammoth Sonics at that point in their career. Um, but and we're going to do it again, I think, at the end. But yeah, this yeah. will certainly make top ten, if not top five. It's um, it's beautiful. Really. Wow, it's, yeah. it's such an amazing piece of writing. I think from like from every member of the band here. Yeah, Simon, it's, like it's you were one saying, of their most. Drums, um, like... I mean, it is poetic. You're right, um, Adam. But it, it's one of their more opaque and inscrutable lyrics, I would oh, say. Oh, I've no idea what it's about, which yeah. I think actually makes me respond to it on a more sort of instinctive mm. level. Mm, sure. There's not a lot. I don't. I don't have to go out and research this lyric. For its All chance. I can really sort of connect it with the bit about jealousy sows rejection with a kiss. Made me think a little bit of Richie's extremely bleak view of romantic love, um, mm. as expressed on life becoming a landslide and things like that one of the pr- premium achievements of humankind absolutely uh, that song yeah absolutely great i mean the the nature of of um there not being like a, loads of references packed into this song is that i don't have loads to say about it other than 
I really fucking like it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's, good. <laughs> it's really great. Um, it surprises me that you didn't respond to it as much uh, as you did, Lucas. I thought this would very much be your jam. Or marmalade. Yeah, who am I going to judge? Marmalade's better than jam. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, You're just happy to say that, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just happy to say, I'm happy to say, not only did I give the Holy Bible a three out of ten, but that marmalade is better than jam. Mental. Carry on. Okay. Jam is more versatile, <laughs> but on a bit of toast, marmalade every time. All right, Paddington. Um, oh, yeah, nice. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, just the whole album, unfortunately, just doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't get me. It doesn't get me going. And so, even a song that's got Lucas ingredients, it still doesn't get. Doesn't make the cake. Doesn't doesn't bake the cake. Doesn't you bake want. the lovely cake. It does I'm... not. It doesn't salt my chips. Sure. Yeah. I wonder if, not that it would particularly fit, but if this song was on Everything Must Go, one of your favourites so far, I wonder if you'd say how much you love this song. Well, because I mean, it's I, on an album you dislike. Well, I did just say stick this on Lifeblood and I think it would still be a meh. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, it wouldn't okay, fit yeah. on Lifeblood, though. Yeah, it maybe to... would fit on... Yeah, but it wouldn't fit on Everything Must Go either. I'm, I'm, Steve's making the point, if it was an album I was higher on, that I would yeah. give it more time of day. Right, yeah. Y- yeah. It's really good, though. <laughs> like, yeah, this whole album felt it's the one that's felt the most like homework so far. Really? Wow. Yeah, I'm really the, shocked by the that. The thing about this, uh, that though, Lucas, is that you are wrong and <laughs> that this album's really good and that that song is one of the standout moments from it. So I think that's oh, what shit. Lucas was trying sorry, to say. No, yeah. Sorry, yeah. you yeah. phrased it better than me 10 out of 10. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, and I think that is probably where we're going to leave it uh, for this week. Um, So, join us next week when we're going to continue on this uh, lengthy odyssey into Journal for Plague Lovers. We will again be joined by uh, Simon Price. Um, You can get hold of us on Twitter, at Manix Podcast. We're on Instagram, at Manix Podcast. If you'd like to, you can email us and we'll probably read it out in some kind of bonus episode or something, as long as what you've said isn't like racist or sexist or weird or some kind of threat towards us you can email us at manixpodcast at gmail.com and we also have a little red bubble with like some stupid designs on mugs and t-shirts and I think there's one with our faces on a clock and stuff like that so if you want to support the podcast and don't get me wrong you are absolutely 100% supporting the podcast just by listening to it if you feel like you want to chuck us a couple of quid uh, we felt that was the best way to do it rather than a Patreon or anything because then you get something um, so go and buy our tat that's uh, <laughs> that's that's the slogan for our red bubble shop um, so uh, remember that we live in urban hell and we destroy rock and roll goodbye <laughs> goodbye one more bye <laughs>